Hello everyone and welcome to Sterling's Business Success and Coffee podcast. Kindly sponsored and supported by Sterling's group coaching programs and fix this next. This free online business assessment tool enables you to pinpoint your business's vital need. Keep listening for top business tips and advice to help you level up and scale up. Here's your host, Simon Meadows. today's podcast in which I'm joined by Tom Stansfield. Now Tom and I go back a a little way and we both took part in some some training, some uh, what would you call it, referrals, relationship building training that was run by Mark Jarvis and Ascentive and anybody who knows the podcast will know that Mark was one of the first guests on the podcast so it's really great to see Tom on today's podcast and have you today with us Tom. Welcome. Thanks for having me on. Appreciate it. Now, from a, a bio point of view and just an introduction to the guests, um, you've changed geysers, haven't you, since we met? So we met and we were, I think we were talking about it. I think it was Christmas time or something like that, wasn't it? When the course finished and we had a little bit of a buffet and a piece of Christmas cake. Um, just give the listeners a little bit of the, the journey that you've been on to get to where you are now. That's right, Simon. Yeah, sure, no problem. And so, yeah, when we first met, I had been working in the legal industry um, and specifically, I think it was probably in legal tech at that specific point. Um, I've been in the legal industry for about 10 years, but but everything I've done has always been in marketing. Um, Over the course of the last sort of four, five years, um, I've been moving towards setting up my own agency. And I I did that two years ago alongside a full-time job. Uh, And I've been working incredibly hard since to to realize that dream, I suppose. Uh, And that's what we're doing now, marketing agency, full-time, helping my my own clients. And is there any particular uh, niche or niche that you focus on through that background that you've got? Yeah, absolutely. So it, it is... Um, specifically in the legal sector so I've actually got two I work under two brands I've got two marketing agencies for want of a better description but um, the majority of my clients 80 80 to 85 percent of my clients are in the legal sector ah, right. okay. and that explains then when I looked at the information you sent me I saw the two sort of brands and was a little bit unsure about it, so I'm sure we'll hear a little bit more about that later on so you've you've mentioned obviously in the afternoon as we record this, you don't normally drink coffee, but uh, you have been drinking coffee. So tell us a little bit about the coffee you drink during the morning then, Tom. So, so I never used to drink coffee. Um, and I, I, one of the businesses that I went to work with once I, when I joined, they, was, they were shocked, I suppose, that, that I never, never drank coffee. Um, I used to drink coffee growing up. It was one of those that my parents would be like, oh, have a coffee yeah. with, your, with your breakfast. And I drank it because I was told to. Um, so when I was able to make my own decisions, the first thing I do was <laughs> I'm going to stop drinking coffee. Um, and then I sort of fell back into it. So I went to work with this business um, and then they every single day they were out at Costa's or Starbucks or something like that. Um, And that's when I started to drink coffee again. And now every morning religiously, I will have a coffee. Um, But from an efficiency perspective, the coffee that I will drink will be something like a Tassimo or a a capsule coffee, um, just to to keep things as quick and simple as possible. And it's amazing because, you know, I I I drink uh, an espresso uh, coffee out of an espresso machine and uh, always happy to be sponsored by Nespresso if anybody's listening to this, uh, or KitchenAid, which is the machine we've got as well. But it's it's interesting that I thought I was probably the the one off that liked coffee out of pods. But out of all the guests that we've had that drink coffee, I bet more than eighty percent of them actually 
like you say, because of convenience, but also because of taste, because the taste has got so much better. They'd rather have a pod than have instant or even something else. And it is that convenience factor. Definitely. Absolutely. I mean, the, the amount of people I speak to on um, on LinkedIn or, or um, online somewhere, and they'll be saying to me that they'll actually physically do something whilst they're waiting for the kettle to boil or something. They'll yeah. um, they'll be doing something to, to be proactive or productive. Whereas for me, I can just put the, the capsule in, press the button, and I can come back and get my hot coffee already made for me, ready to take up to the yeah. office. You know? yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm intrigued. I don't know about listeners, if you, if you heard what Tom said earlier on about the fact that um, when growing up, your parents of yes you have coffee with your breakfast and then when you're able to make your own decisions i suppose for many people listening to this and uh, just a couple of episodes back we had somebody who uh, i think he was portuguese and they as, as young children six and seven were given coffee but a very diluted coffee to drink and for his us here in the uk that's almost unheard of but to have your parents saying it's breakfast it's coffee and it was only when you commit your own decisions, I love the way you said that, that you decided not to have, have coffee. Um, was it something that was very sort of family-based, a ritual for the family to have coffee with their breakfast? And how old were you when you actually got to make your own decision about coffee? It's a difficult one, actually. Thinking back, it was either tea or coffee, and it was always very milky. So I wouldn't say it was particularly concentrated. No. Um, uh, I suppose I stopped drinking coffee probably when I was around about 10, I think. Um, okay. And I didn't come back to coffee until I was, well, I'm in my 30s now, but it would have been in the last sort of four or five years that I started drinking coffee again. So there's quite a gap there, I think. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's interesting. I don't know if I've ever shared this, but one of the reasons I started drinking coffee was when I had the construction company, we used to go and do uh, a lot of inspections for insurance repairs. And I, I always used to drink tea. I never drank coffee. But the variance in how people make tea is quite extreme. You know, some show it the tea bag from the other side of the room and flood it with milk. Some people let it stew. Uh, and I like my tea, builder's tea, He-Man colour, you know, good, good tan colour. But that wasn't the reason I changed to coffee. I went to a client and, uh, well, a, 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 I think they were a tenant of this property. And they said, would you like a drink? I said, I'd love a cup of tea. I was absolutely gagging for a cup of tea. I'd been on the road all day and I really wanted a cup of tea. I got this cup of tea and I sat there and, you know, we get a little bit of a twang to it. And I thought there's something not quite right with this tea. And I don't know what made me do it, but I just tilted the cup up just a little bit more than normal. And I looked and in the bottom of this mug was a thick slurry. I had no idea what was in this cup. But when we went into the kitchen, I realised how awful this was. There were pets all over the worktop standing in food oh, no. there were cats that had messed on the worktop that then were walking across their plates and they were just knocking a cat off and then eating and it was like and i sat there with this cup of tea and i thought I, there's no way i'm drinking that and that's why i decided to go to coffee because what i found was that in coffee because i have it black as well Generally, I could see more of what was in the mug before I drank it than I could with a cup of tea that was full of milk. So that was actually the reason I started drinking coffee, uh, purely because of that one experience. I'm not surprised. I think I would have done the same thing. It would make you nervous, wouldn't it, about having uh, anybody else make you a drink ever again? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It, it, definitely, uh, it, it definitely unnerved me. Definitely <laughs> unnerved me. So have you got any favourite 
bean or brand you know uh, you mentioned obviously tasmo but obviously lots of different variances have you got any favorite coffee I think for me, I'm still sort of relatively new to the coffee um, lifestyle. Um, you get people that, that, are, that are quite into I wouldn't describe myself as one of those necessarily, but um, I do know what I like and I, I like um, a latte. Um, and I don't mind putting a bit of flavour into the latte. I'm not necessarily too fussed on the bean necessarily, but um, that's that's what I started on. I started off on a soft coffee, so to speak. I think that's what I was, it was described to me as. Um, and then uh, where we used to work, they, they bought in a special coffee machine and then they used to go to uh, a local um, roaster um, to get their beans. Uh, and they used to buy different types of beans and they used to mix some of them themselves to make their own, um, to make their own within the office. Um, and then they used to try try me on different coffees and some of the strongest stuff. I tell you, I couldn't drink that. Um, there was one that they had called a dead eye, and I'm sure it had between five and six shots of coffee in it. Um, I, would, I would have been uh, bouncing off the walls, I think, if I had that. Whereas, yeah, for me, it's just very much a case of a nice, normal latte. Yeah, and there are some really strong coffees out there, aren't there? But the names give away, you know, bulletproof coffee and things like, you know, they're dead man's coffee. And, yeah, there's some, you get to know how strong the coffee is with a name, I think, definitely. Absolutely. The blonde coffee that I'm drinking at the moment doesn't feel that strong purely because of the name. Anything that's called blonde normally is pretty good. Absolutely. So you've you've been, Tom, on quite an interesting journey. You say you started the the current uh, incarnation of the business uh, two years ago which is that's an interesting time to start business isn't it you know with the pandemic that we're still undergoing at the moment but certainly uh, coming out of fingers crossed what's been the most significant thing that you've worked on or that you've had to work out in that business I think it's, that's an interesting question, Simon, because within marketing, one of the things that I found over the last couple of years, and obviously it's an unfortunate thing to say, or an unfortunate circumstance, I suppose, but lots of businesses have struggled, certainly in the hospitality industry and things like that. Lots of businesses have struggled, where, whereas marketeers, we've been quite busy because lots of people need assistance to grow their business. Yeah. When times do get tough, typically speaking, the marketing spend tends to be the first thing to uh, first thing to go. Um, but when I started to, to provide some consultancy support, it, it was it was very much a case of it wasn't something I was planning to do long term necessarily. I love marketing, I love business growth, um, and somebody came to me and said, "I've got I'm struggling to get some some additional clients," and I was just like, well, "I'll give you some tips, some ideas that that I would probably use to implement," and that's where it really all started. Um, over the course of the last two years, we've we've seen some massive growth and um, obviously it's enabled me now to, to do this full time and to support my family. Um, and the plan now moving forward is to, uh, um, to, to expand the agency even further. One of the problems I do have is time. And I think that's probably mm. a, is that a common theme, would you suggest uh, with lots of people that come on here? I, th I think it is with service providers as well. Yeah. Because ultimately we think, uh, and, and essentially we are exchanging time for money, aren't we? You know, and the only way very often you can make more money is to increase your prices. And I think, you know, for me, yeah, I've, I've been the busiest I've ever been in the last two years and signed up more clients than I've ever signed up. But getting people to pay more for what you do has been difficult. Because as you say, I think, I think during this time, people have known what they need to do. But that doesn't mean that they've just wasted money and paid over the odds for it. I think people have been frugal um, because they realize that they've got to survive as well and i think we're going to see even more of that in the in the months and perhaps 18 months to come you know that that tightness you know gripping us all a little bit on how much people have spent but yeah it's it's time for money isn't it a lot of the lot of the time that's a trap we fall into 
I think for, for me as well, I mean, my ethos, I, I used to be, and I'm not, I'm not ashamed to admit it, I used to be motivated by money. So when I was in the corporate lifestyle, um, obviously I was trading my time then for an employer's money um, and uh, money was a motivator. Uh, things have changed massively. So four years ago, nearly four years ago, my wife had a baby. She hates it when I say that. She likes it when I say that we had a baby. Um, yeah. <laughs> and and that, that was one of the motivations, I suppose, for me sort of doing my own thing, having the choice and being able to sort of work the hours that I want to work and around my family. Um, but that... And whilst whilst that's all whilst that's all true too, um, for me, my, my motivations have changed massively. So money's not a motivator for me anymore. Yeah. At the minute, I like to see what I can do to support people. So if somebody comes to me and they don't have a budget, that doesn't mean I'm not going to. I'm just going to dismiss them. I'll see what time I can um, dedicate to them. Um, quick example. I won't. I won't go off on a, a tangent too much. No, but, that's okay. Um, I, I spoke to uh, somebody um, about. It would be about eighteen months ago now. Um, and they came to me and the plan was, I think, to onboard them at the time and to bring them on board as a client. Um, and uh, they, they didn't have the budget for it. So instead, what I, what I said was, I'll give you some ideas to go away. And she came to me a month later. She wasn't planning on the growth that she experienced, but she came to me a month later and she said, um, I've implemented the tips. I've had two new clients over the course of the last three weeks or something, whatever it was. Yeah. Um, uh, so your tips really work, um, which was which was nice, I think. Um, yeah. But that's where it all sort of started. But I've got three sort of core values that I really work to when it when it comes to my my consultancy, and it's not driven around money. First one's just about adding value to my uh, yeah. my clients, making sure that um, they understand what it is I'm suggesting, as well as just implementing it. Um, and then the core one is I'll never tie anybody into a lengthy contract because I don't believe it. If somebody's not happy working with you, why well, keep them attached to you? Uh, and then the, the the I suppose the core one uh, for me is. I'll only ever work with somebody if I feel like I can add value to them because again, in marketing, it will soon come out in the wash. Yeah. And that's an interesting thing you've just said there, because this is a, a thing I've been balancing for quite some time. So when I first became a coach, you know, like you, one of my values was not tying people into long term contracts. So yeah, I basically, you pay for the month in advance. And if you don't, if you're not happy, you don't pay for the next month. Simple as that. So yeah, you're on 30 days and that's it. A lot of people in the coaching and consulting sector say, well, that's madness. You know, how can you work not knowing that you're going to have people next month? I think if you deliver value and people get the results, you know, I've got clients, you know, one client that I saw last Friday who's been a client for 12 and a half years on a month by month basis. That's awesome. And I don't sit there every month hoping and praying that, oh, hope he renews because when you show people the journey ahead and you show the value that you get, you know, any listeners, whatever your sector is, we can all do this, then people will stay with you. Uh, you know, people don't leave because of long-term contracts and things like that. The unfortunate thing I've found, Tom, is that people, certainly in, in my industry, are starting to charge for the year. So you know, if it's 575 pounds or dollars a month you if you want a discount you can pay for the year and I'm, I'm getting pulled a little bit into that the difficulty with that is that you get a lot of money in which is happy days in one month number one and then month number two when you've spent the money you've got nothing coming in on a regular basis so i'm a little bit torn between the two i don't know what your take is on that whether you have any project-based fee work that you do or whether it's sort of almost pay as you go 
the, the majority of my work's all based on a retainer so it's a monthly retainer if you like it keep going if you don't and yeah, feel free so. to feel free to leave at any point um it gives me that security i suppose of regular income and as secure as it can yeah. be when it's a monthly retainer but as you mentioned it, and people uh, my first client my second client my third client are still with me now um which is which is a nice position yeah. to be in um one of those three clients said to me recently uh, you could put another naught on the end of what you charge us and we'd pay it but please don't um so <laughs> that's very that. honest of them isn't it absolutely absolutely and i'm not going to increase my prices um Just my half yeah well maybe. point five <laughs> Yeah. The key thing is, is what you were saying. It's about adding value, isn't it? And if it you can continue to add the value, the clients will come back to you. And from my perspective, and one of the things that I like to talk to my clients about with when they're seeing when they're seeing their own clients is the point being that you, you add value to them you um, before they become a client. You give as much information to them as you possibly can so that they can know, like, and trust you. And at that point, it's a sort of gift of reciprocity, isn't it? They'll come back on board because they feel like they want to then yeah. pay you for, for the time and the and the effort and the value that you've given to them, I think. Now, I'm going to throw you a bit of a curveball now then, Tom, um, because we are in very strange times. You know, we've got a cost of living crisis, as many people are saying in the, in the press. And sure enough, you know, when it's not just hype. Everybody's feeling the squeeze and feeling the pinch. It's still difficult to get hold of products and things like that. So a lot of businesses are looking very carefully at their budgets. And I think during the pandemic, they've used grants, they've used fundings, loans, whatever it is, to, to think we need to be at the back end of this, we need to plan for coming out of this, and, and therefore they've spent money on marketing. There are probably going to be some listeners to this who are at that crossroads where they're thinking, okay, Marketing is a budget we need to look at. Do we do we cut it? Do we maintain it? Or do actually we increase it to stay ahead of our competitors? That for many business owners is a very difficult sort of intersection to be at. Have you got any examples from any part of your working life to show people, you know, uh, perhaps some some ways of making better decisions? I'm not saying one decision is right or wrong, but we all need to make a better decision for us. Are there any ingredients that we could use? to make a better decision, do you think? That's a really, really good question. It's a tough one as well, isn't it? <laughs> it um, is. Yeah. I, I'm almost tempted to turn the table and ask you what your view is before I give my own. But what I would probably say is that obviously everybody wants a return on investment on their marketing spend. There's a clear distinction between sales and marketing, and there's a distinction to an extent between advertising and marketing. So marketing is all encompassing. Yeah. So if somebody's throwing some money at marketing, one of the things that I would probably say is what is actually, what, what is actually you're throwing money at? What, what marketing are you doing? Um, lots of lots of people come to me, lots of clients come to me or prospects come to me and they'll be talking about social media marketing, for example. And they'll start to ask the question about all the spend that they've done or they've tried it before and it's not worked. And how is it any different? How What's changing within the marketplace? And what I would suggest to, to a lot of people is that when it comes to marketing spend, and, and as you mentioned, we're in a particularly, particularly difficult sort of financial climate, um, we need to make sure that marketing spend works. But we also need to recognize that there's something called a six-touch strategy. And if you're in sales, some people say it extends up to sort of 10 touches. And what I mean by that is that before somebody's prepared to part with their hard-earned cash on our products and services, we need to have exposed them to our brand on average six times. Yeah. So they won't part and buy from us until they know us, like us, and trust us. So my questions really, I suppose, are centered around what 
Um, what is it you're doing to market the business? Where's your investment? What, what, what is it you're spending your money on? Um, and, and are you getting a return on investment from it? And if not, is it likely that if we keep those touches coming, um, that we're going to get we're going to get a spend a return on that spend, so, so to speak? Does that answer the question? Or have I just it, it does. Yeah, yeah, and, and very well. So thank you. And, and I think you're right. And listeners, yeah, to make those kind of decisions and know what that return on investment is, you've got to be measuring your numbers. And I think you know, the reason a lot of people get to these this intersection and they're quite foggy and quite cloudy is because they don't know their numbers. And it's very hard to make a decision without those numbers at hand and knowing that return on investment. And you know, yeah, why, why would you keep doing something that isn't giving you the results? You know, you're either doing it wrong or you need to do something different, don't you? So I think that's absolutely right. It's interesting what you say about the six touches. I, mean, I use the shark fishing analogy of chumming the waters to get the sharks closer to the boat yeah yeah you wouldn't spend all that money on the boat the the reels the rigs that you know the expensive bait and then not try and attract the boats you know the the sharks closer to the boat you've got to put those six touches as you say out there so that people are ready to take whatever it is that you're you're offering them Absolutely. And you can do a lot of that cost effectively. So you don't have to have huge marketing budgets to go out and, and, and build a business, do you? You yeah. can you can do a lot of organic marketing or inbound marketing. Um, there's an author, I'm not sure if he features on your uh, on your bookshelf, yeah. but um, a gentleman called Marcus Sheridan. He writes a book called They Ask You Answer. Have you heard it? I haven't, no. No, that's one to write down, yeah. He talks about a principle whereby you... Um, you basically provide as much information. So almost give away your best information for free so that you're basically building trust with a prospect. And by the time that they're ready to make a purchase decision, um, they know who to turn to because you're the one that's added the most value to them. Okay. Yeah. You don't need to read the book now. I've just spoiled it. Yeah. 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 Uh, But I think that's quite contradictory and particularly for the sector that you might represent as well, because I think you know the legal sector and some of the, the the high-end services sector very much is you don't give away your best tips. You know, you give an amount of time, but you don't give anything away because you, you only save the best for paying clients. And I agree with, with you and what you've just said there, that if you want to get the best clients and you want those ideal clients asking to work for you and work with you, then you've got to give them amazing content and the best content when you're doing those six touches, because then if this is what is given for free, imagine what we get when we pay for. Absolutely. Yeah. That's, that's the thing, isn't it? Uh, I think the other thing I would say to that, to answer that question, if you'd have turned it around, as you said, you were going to on me, always make your decisions against your business plans. Does the direction that I'm going get me closer to where I want to be or further away? And I know Mike McCallowitz in his book, um, I think it's Fix This Next or one of them, he mentions sometimes we spend a lot of time trying to get away from point A. and We head off in all these different directions from point A, but actually are any of those directions heading to point B? Because the one we want is the one that goes the quickest, directest route to B. So if you want to get from A to B, that's the route you go. But we put so much effort in just trying to escape from where we are and we could be heading in a completely different direction. So always make that decision. Does it move me closer or does it move me further away? I love that. You've just explained it in a different way than I explain. I think I'm going to pinch your uh, your way of explaining that. <laughs> it's really good diagram. if you draw it as a diagram as well. If you do a little circle with an A in it and do all these little arrows pointing off and then you have B somewhere else on the on the drawing, you know, which, which one's the right one? They're, they're all what feels right now because you're escaping A 
but actually only one of them is actually going to get you to point B. I try to explain to my clients is that everybody's got a business plan of sorts. Many people don't have it written down. Yeah. Um, and I just say, if you've not got a business plan, write down sort of five key objectives. And typically speaking, there'll be financial targets or audience targets or something Correct. like that. And then you put your marketing strategy, which is how are you going to hit those five targets? Um, and, and that's how I try and simplify it. But I, I prefer your example. I'm going to use yours from now on. Okay. Yeah, you can have that. Thank you. Um, so what's it been like then you're trying to get this this balance uh of you know being with your family after your wife has had a baby and i must admit i know she prefers it if you said we but i must admit i think most of the effort most of the pain was hers so i'd go with you she had the baby yeah. uh, although lots of women listening to this are probably crying out now saying no that's so wrong but you know to me recognize where all the hard work uh, was put in um How's, how's it been getting that balance and being able to have that choice of serving people, as you mentioned, giving somebody some great content, and then they came back and said, I've got two clients from it, now will you work with me? What, what would you say has rounded it up as being how it is now and how it feels now? I've always had a challenge, shall we say, um, of being able to sort of manage time and um, one of my problems, and I'll, I'll say it's a problem, is that I always over-exceed in terms of expectations. Yeah. Um, which will create more problems down the line um, as the agency expands. But um, one of the things I recognized was that instead of working 80 hours a week, and that was typically speaking, doing the day job, and then I did a bit of work on the day job outside of work because I love I love working and I love marketing, and then also supporting my own clients and fitting that in. Um, it's tons easier now. I'm not doing 80 hours a week. So it's that's that's a bonus, which means yeah. I've got more time. I'm not traveling to work now, which is which is um which means I've got an extra time. So this morning, for example, I was able to take my son to nursery. And it's just having little things like that that for me are win. Yeah. That's what I'm aiming to do more of. Uh, I'm not working on the weekends now so much. I, I don't mind working when Harry goes to bed, but um that those are the yeah, absolutely. Those are the things that, that I wanted. So, but now I've got full control. And as you mentioned, I've got full choice over which hours I do work. And I'm now not, but one of my, one of my non, um, what's the term I'm looking for? It's not, it's um, not negotiable, um, is that I won't work between five and seven. So uh, at, at the end of the working day and before Harry goes to bed, that's our time where we play, uh, we play dinosaurs or, or we just have some fun, you know, um, because these are the memories that I want to make and I want him to have uh, moving forward. So that's a non-negotiable for me. And th- th- these, these are the wins I was looking for. Yeah. And I think they're so much more valuable than the money because you can never get those moments back when you miss a moment of your child growing up that's it that's gone hasn't it that moment is lost you'll never recover it you can try and replace it and you can try and make up for it as i think many business people try to do later on but you know making that sacrifice isn't something that we have to we can get that balance where actually i think that's a really good thing of five to seven because yeah anything outside of that yeah, I'm willing to make a different choice, but the choice is during that five to seven, I spend it with my family and with my. Don't get me wrong. By family. seven o'clock, I'm shattered. I, I, I'm ready for him <laughs> to go to bed, but uh, yeah, at least he's worn you out. Yeah, absolutely. But by that point, we've had some fun. You know, one of the yeah. things that I can't remember who it was that said it. You, you'll probably be able to tell me. Um, there was somebody that said, um, "We never look back and, and say the thing. Well, we never. We only ever look back and say the things that we wish that we'd done. So, spending more time with family, for example. Yeah. Nobody ever looks back and says, "I wish I'd worked more." Yeah, it's interesting. There's an advert on TV. I think it's uh, Expedia, right? Uh, I think it's Hugh McGregor, and he says, "You know, we never wish we had 
you know, never forget we'd had a smaller phone or something like that. But then he walks through a door and there's a beach with his family. And he said, but how many of us have regretted not spending time like this? Yeah. So I think, yeah, it's quite, quite a powerful advert if you've not seen it. But uh, yeah, I'm going to go look at that now. So if, if you could give the listeners um, a tip, a lesson, something they can take away, but they can do something with right now, what would that tip or lesson be, Tom? Uh, it would be centred around people, I think. Um, one of the things that sort of propelled me to where I am in terms of my network and my, my reputation within the, the niche or the industry that I work in um, is the people that I'm connected to. So you don't have to know everything, uh, but surround yourself with people who do. So what I've done is I've created an incredible network of people that I know I can turn to if I've got a question and they're often very kind and they'll support me and help me and put me in the right direction. So it's very much around building a good network around you. See what you can do to add value to that to, to that person or people. Um, but the key thing is that just know that they're there when you need them. Yeah, I, I think you've said something very important there, that it, it is those connected people and what you can give for them and what they can give to you. Yeah, I see people go networking very often and they stand there with a cup of coffee and a bacon butty. Uh, and I'm sorry, international listeners, if you're not quite sure what a bacon butty is, but Google it and you'll find out. Um, but they go and they, they feel that they have a network of people, but those people very often are not connected and they're not connected to them either. You know, there's, they have a chat. But other than that network meeting, they rarely talk, they rarely meet. They don't know that much about each other. And if you actually ask them, I can remember I used to go to a networking event in Lincoln with Mike Stokes, and occasionally he would ask people to stand up and do the networking pitch for the person at the side of you. Really? These were people you'd probably spent two years networking with. And as soon as they said that, it's amazing. how 80% of the room couldn't tell you what the person that they'd spent two years with at the side of did for a living and, and what they added as value. I think when it comes to networking, one of my sort of frustrations or bugbears with traditional networking is that um, people go to a networking event and they they like to talk to you about what they do and they're not necessarily yeah. interested in what you do or how you can add value to them. It's always how they can help you. Um, so I've, I've always tried to stay clear of networking. Don't get me wrong. I, I go to I go to some events now, but only those where I feel like it's it's right for me. Yeah. Connected people with the right sort of people. Absolutely. Yeah. 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 Yeah, and I think, you know, listeners, yeah, it's it's important to look at that network, not just at networking, but, you know, who is it that are around you that can support you and help you and that you can support as well. So if people want to reach out to you, Tom, and find out more about what you do and the, the two aspects of, of the business that you've, you, businesses you've got at the moment, where, where can people go and how can they reach out to you? Uh, the, the best way is probably LinkedIn. Uh, I'm, okay. I'm on uh, I'm prominent on LinkedIn. I'm there every single day. And, and again, that's where I do most of my sort of connections and, and, and networking. Yeah. So um, LinkedIn would be the best place. Um, alternative to that, you can look at one of my two agencies. One of them is legalgrowth.co.uk and the other one's lincolnshiremarketing.co.uk. And on there, there's tips for all sorts of different businesses, primarily small to medium-sized enterprises there. Okay. And to find you on LinkedIn, so I know yeah, I refer to you as Tom. It says Tom on the bottom of your Zoom screen there. You're not called Thomas on networking on LinkedIn, anything like that. What's, what's the, how would they find you and search for you on LinkedIn? I'm Tom on LinkedIn as well. Tom Stansfield. Yeah. 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 So T-O-M and then Stanfield, S-T-A-N-S-F-I-E-L-D. That's right. Perfect. Great. So I'm going to ask you a, a slightly different question here. And uh, some of the latest podcasts have, have had this uh, in. If you were to have your next coffee with somebody you've always dreamed of having a coffee with okay 
Um, doesn't have to be business. It can be personal. Uh, it could be a, a hero or something like that. Who would that person be? And where would you like to have that coffee? Uh, it's a great, great question. Um, so I've recently been invited on board um, as, a, as a non-exec director with a local football club. So passionate about football. I saw that on, um, the, on your social media, yeah. Absolutely. So passionate about football and passionate about business. Um, so that for me was a win. Uh, but I think if I were to have coffee with somebody, I would probably want to meet somebody who's prominent in, in those industries. So maybe somebody like um, the uh, Tottenham chairman, um, Levy, is it? Yeah. Um, just to to be able to pick his brains about uh, about the two worlds of football and business, uh, how he's overcome challenges because he's, yeah. he's obviously not necessarily too popular um, because he does treat uh, Tottenham Football Club as a business, rightly so, perhaps some would say. Yeah. Um, so I probably want to have a, a coffee with him uh, at the football ground so I can have a good nosy round as well. Yeah, yeah. Uh, it's interesting. I mean, I'm not a football fan at all. So anything that has round balls in it, yeah, it's not for me at all. I'm more of an ice hockey fan, which good news is the uh, Calgary Flames have made it to the next stage of the Stanley Cup playoffs, which I'm really excited about. Um, but on, on Lincoln City, I remember going uh, to see Lincoln City Football Club and seeing the two managers that they had there. And I know you're Lincoln United, isn't it, that you'd be asked about? I'm also a Lincoln City football uh, season ticket holder as well. So, oh, right, yeah. OK. Well, yeah, they had the two managers there. Uh, Danny, what was the other brother's name? Danny and Nicky. That's it, yeah. And I saw them in action when actually uh, I, I went along to watch a game with some clients. And the way they communicated, the way that they dealt with people, and the way that they saw the integration between football, the people of the city, and the businesses in the city was exceptional. I've never seen anything like that. And, you know, again, looking at ice hockey and baseball, you look at the way players and managers and coaches communicate. Those brothers did exactly that. They communicated so well from the side of the pitch. They weren't doing everything that the other football managers do, hurling abuse in their puffer jackets, just slagging everybody else off the ref. They were very, very constructive, very productive in the way they communicated. So I think if I was going to have a football coffee, it would be with both brothers. And I've, I've met Danny a couple of times, but actually, and that's why I remember his name more than, than, than Nicky, I'd like to actually meet both of them because they had a particular chemistry didn't they that was yeah, quite magical that. the thing is they've set the bar really high haven't they so the outgoing manager the gentleman that's just left michael appleton um he uh, has been perhaps criticized by some of the lincoln city fans on the basis that he's not quite so um good um or that's how it's perceived um in terms of the uh, community aspect and how he interacts with the fans and things yeah um, so yeah but they've set the bar really high but yeah no that's a great one absolutely yeah yeah yeah, yeah that'd be mine well Tom, you've given us some amazing uh, values. Just give us the name of that book again. I just didn't quite jot the name of that book down that you mentioned. It's called They Ask You Answer. They Ask You Answer. And it's by Marcus so, Sheridan. I'll make sure Anna, who's a great person who does my show notes, I'll make sure she includes it in. And the fact that I've mentioned doing a podcast, she'll be absolutely chuffed to bits with as well. So if thank you, you Anna, so for doing I, I commented on some, somebody mentioned the book this morning on LinkedIn um, and I commented just to say that I'd read it or listened to it because I listened to it oh. as an audio book yeah. um, and Marcus Sheridan, the author, actually liked my comments. So I was a bit of a really? fanboy this morning. So yeah, if you oh. put it in the show notes, you never know, he might, uh, he might come across yeah, yeah. it. Yeah. Might be able to get him on yeah the, and I'm uh, an audio fan as well. So I'll be getting, oh, I've got free credit. So that'll be my next uh, audible credit. Definitely. Well worth it. Great. And of course, Listeners, uh, you've taken some great value. Do something with what Tom has shared. Look for those people that you can put into your connected 
network of people that you can support and people support you. And we're just talking about Audible. It'd be great if you left us a review of this podcast on any platform that you're listening to this on. And if you do have an Audible account, please go in because this podcast is available to subscribers. You have to be a paying subscriber to Audible. But if you if you had an Audible, Audible account, then this podcast is available on Audible as well as all the other platforms. Thanks, Tom. It's been an absolute pleasure. And I hope you enjoy the rest of your afternoon. Thanks for having me on. I love your podcast, by the way. Keep up the good work. Thank you. And I'm looking forward to getting yours. Well, you have to give us the details when you send the bio across and we'll make sure we, we add anything to that as well. So look out for Tom's podcast as well. And listeners, I, uh, I trust that you will do something with what you've learned and I look forward to seeing you on the next podcast. Bye for now. Thank you for listening. Don't forget, if you'd like any help and support with your business, do get in touch with Simon. And to discover what your business needs you to fix next, visit www.sterlingcoaching.fixthisnext.com. Please do subscribe so you don't miss the next episode. And Simon would love you to rate and review the show too. Thank you.